0: Bloody Elbow presents the MMA section, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card, going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada headlined by a light heavyweight bout between Nikita Krylov and Ryan Spahn. A top of card that is fine. I've been seeing hate for this card uh, a bit online. People Wait, are like, did, oh, you say,
2: did you say headlined by a light heavyweight fight? I know. Oh my god, finally. Finally. Did you yeah. see
1: that? that's the, the <laughs> stat somebody compiled of like UFC events since 2021 and like Fifty percent of them are headlined by heavyweight or light heavyweight fights, and zero percent of them have been headlined by flyweight fights.
2: That is not the flyweight thing is not shocking at all. Yeah, um, that the light heavyweight heavyweight percentage honestly sounds low.
1: <laughs> honestly, <laughs> it might be. I mean, I'm I'm not going to go find it again. But I don't
2: I, know if you saw. I was tweeting when they announced the upcoming Anthony Smith main event. Mm-hmm. that um, this was still on the eve of uh, Volk versus Islam. I looked it up. I just had a hunch that this was going to be the case. Um, at that at that time, Anthony Smith, and now when he gets this one, he will have had as many five-round fights as Volkanovsky and Makachev combined. Oh, my God. Granted, they're not the same kinds of five-round fights. They're not on pay-per-views. They're fight nights, whatever. But, but simply why? because they have to have Anthony Smith in fight night main events for some reason— um, not even a top contender. It's really, truly inexplicable. Yeah, that, that he has literally had as much five round opportunities <laughs> as two reigning pound for pound great champions.
3: Yeah, no, I
1: mean like, yeah, Corey Sandhagen should never be in anything other than five round fights.
2: I'm sorry, absolutely yes. Bantamweight you know, main events. We've been saying it. Nothing's yeah. changed. Every fight night main event. Bantamweights, featherweights and lightweights you can't lose yeah it'll not even have to be high ranked. they could be top 20 and it's yep. still going to be a better main event last week last weekend's card literally the main card started off quite fun
3: mm-hmm.
2: light heavyweights get in the cage nosedive suddenly <laughs> until the main event which yeah. was not a men's heavyweight fight not a men's light heavyweight fight and, yeah, it's just, it's so obvious that it just tags the entertainment value of the product. Mm-hmm. And yet, yeah, I, now I'm going to, I'll have the, um, the Buddhist middle path uh, take on the quality of this card, which is uh, the UFC has now succeeded in beating us to a bloody pulp. They have deprived us of food and emotional sustenance. We're abused. We're heartbroken. We feel afraid and trapped. And so now we look at this card and we're like, oh, it's okay.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. would say I mean,
2: that had the year started with good cards, we would be complaining about this. Yeah, but, but since this is... we just had last week and the three weeks before, this feels all right.
1: Yeah, this card's fine by that, yeah. by that standard.
2: <laughs> In context, it's, it's fine, yeah. even decent.
1: Look, you know, remembering the orphanage from which I was rescued, boy, this workhouse sure is well.
2: Yeah, oh my God, there's raisins in this gruel, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> mm, what a treat. Yeah, right. so it's, it's not as bad as it could be. Anyway, yeah, no. the, the light heavyweights.
1: <laughs> it, it's a fine card headlined by a light heavyweight fight between Nikita Krylov and Ryan Spahn. And honestly, like, that is actually a really difficult fight to call. And is it? mostly just because they're light heavyweights. And I don't.
2: I don't feel it is. I mean, I. It
1: Does might I be. It
2: un, I think it might be essentially unpredictable, as all Ryan Span fights are. But yeah. Um, mean, there's know, but only I one mean, guy.
1: Insane. You know exactly what it's going to look like, which is fair.
2: And there's only one guy. I feel I could ever possibly pick. Yeah. <laughs> because I do not trust Ryan Spann at all.
1: But yeah, he, you shouldn't he, trust Ryan. He's not guess,
2: good. He's not good.
1: Yeah. But he he does have the core quality that uh, yes. of light heavyweight that Nikita Krylov does not.
2: Well, Krylov has enough of it, but yeah, he's not. Span is a special athlete.
1: He's yeah. Bond is a special athlete who hits really hard. Yeah, Nikita Krylov is not. Nikita yeah. Krylov is an all right athlete who is incredibly tough. Yeah, and toughness is usually not. The deciding factor at light heavyweight, yeah, because people hit so hard that even the toughest guys tend to get knocked out,
2: yeah. But it is the toughest factor at heavyweight where uh, Krylov used to fight, and Span is at uh, at least as bad as the average UFC heavyweight.
1: This is all of this is true. I
2: absolutely, I'll just lead off with the pick here. Um, I gotta pick Krylov, and it is mostly because. The man has never been knocked out. He got exhaustion TKO'd by Soa Palele.
1: Yeah, I mean that that is one of those fights where if you go if you do remember if you don't remember it, go back and watch it cuz it's hilarious. It's really bad. And if you do remember it, you will know that Nikita Krylov did not get knocked out in that no. fight. He just got he exhausted himself so heavily fighting Soa Palele. Yeah. There was no human way that he could continue without dying. His heart yeah. would explode like a rabbit in a go-kart track.
2: Yes. <laughs> and then he was basically the bigger man was on top of him in this exhausted state and essentially TKO'd him with uh, a series of hammer fists of doom. Yeah. But like the most meaningless punches in the world but it's like I guess the fight's over cuz Krylov yes, can't do anything. We
1: need to stop it. Medically, <laughs> it can't can't not go to on. Prevent an international crime scene. We <laughs> need to stop this not because you're taking so much damage, but because both of you might die.
2: Yeah. Um and the audience members don't deserve they, they deserve better than this. They don't <laughs> they should not have to keep seeing this.
1: But MMA the MMA audience doesn't deserve
2: better than that. <laughs> we don't
3: deserve
2: shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh which uh jokes on them because shit is what we've been what we've been getting. <laughs> getting it anyway. Um but yeah, Krylov is insanely tough. He's he is. very, very durable. Um since the heavyweight days, he has also demonstrated really quite good stamina.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And he is an essentially shallow, but very broad fighter. He will take a fight everywhere. He will accept a fight anywhere. Um, and I just think, um, I just, Ryan Spann is just like the most nervous man on the face of the planet. <laughs> He's got big power. when you're com- When you're completely on the end of his reach and you have nothing to threaten him with, he can look like a good boxer for the for the the for two punches.
1: Yeah, he is absolutely the epitome of a striker who those first two strikes, you're like, wow. Those next Guy's two strikes, something. you're like, wow.
2: <laughs> yeah, he 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 can throw a one and a two. Even yeah. this is very contextual because span does is, is it, the real problem is like any discomfort whatsoever, whether it's because he feels he has to go forward and put shots together or because he's pushed backwards or threatened, his footwork just completely collapses. He has, he has no footwork. Yeah. Um, and so if he, yeah, if he has to extend the combination, then instantly he just starts completely stumbling around mm-hmm. and flailing and he's off balance. And, this is this is uh, compounded by the fact that uh, if Krylov has a heavyweight chin, then I think Ryan Spann could get knocked out by a welterweight. He's a he's a very chinny fighter. I think it's largely because he's so tense. Uh, is probably a serious factor, but this dude gets hurt in almost every single fight. Mm-hmm. tension. I, I think it's, yeah, he
1: because I've seen him take shots too and be durable, but it's the idea that. Everything is such a fraught proposition that he just doesn't see something, you know, when he's in the middle of, of yeah. throwing something, he is not, think, you know, he's not prepared for whatever can come back.
2: No, him. And, and he will turn a shot that he probably could take into one he can't by flinching. Yeah, you, you turn the shot, you see the shot coming. That's supposed to be a good thing because now it's not going to surprise you, but it's going to surprise you if you shut your eyes or turn away. Uh, and you can't time that exact moment when it connects. And so, yeah, Ryan Spann is just a mess. And uh, I don't consider his win over Dominic Reyes a sign of anything good for him. Rather, as a sign of Dominic Reyes being completely washed.
1: Yeah, it really is unfortunate that yeah. Reyes just... I don't know, like... That his I confidence think is- just broke, yeah. I
2: think. He just... Yeah. It happens, man. Like, the pressure it- of competition... He was so good when he didn't know he could be beaten or KO'd. First yeah. time it happens, he he has never recovered.
1: Yeah, it really does seem like, I, you know, the, the injury time and then Jan yeah. Lahovich knocking him out have just wrecked him in a way that I would not have expected.
2: Yeah, and all. if there's one thing you do not want to do in a fight with Ryan Spann is to go there and be even more nervous than him. Yeah. That is a death sentence. Um, Nikita Krylov, I don't think, is scared of anybody. And I think he can take Ryan Span's shots. I think even if it's a horribly messy exchange, which it will be, knowing oh, both yes. of these guys' technical level, he's going to be able to ding Span back. Mm-hmm. And he is also not a great but a very willing wrestler.
1: Yes. And in this...
2: fact, I... Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Well, this is just another huge problem for Ryan Span. Yes. He... The I I my first instinct at looking at Krylov was like, well, he's not exactly Iwan Kudalaba with the takedowns. Kudalaba is a pretty good takedown artist.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then I just looked at how shockingly easy every single one of those takedowns actually was. Yeah, and the fact that Span wouldn't have gotten up from them if Kudalaba wasn't Kudalaba.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Like Krylov will also sacrifice position for attacks, but. At least they will, you know, th- there will be a little more control. At least they will be like threatening positional moves on the ground, and not just standing up to let the guy stand up and try to hit him as he does. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, my instinct was like, well, Krylov's not that good of a wrestler, but he's fine. Yeah. And Span is pretty bad at it. Again, the tension. I think he has a very common thing you see with like anxious, um, tense fighters is that their own leverage points get turned against them really easily. Mm -hmm. If span gets an overhook on you. For example, he is clinging on to that goddamn wizard so hard that you can do anything you want to the part of his body that he's not currently paying attention to. And because he's clinging to you, you get to then move around and he will take himself down. Yeah. Like if span gets wrist control, and you just yank to the side, he's not going to let go. He's going to keep clamped onto your wrist and fall down holding it. He's that kind of tense fighter even in the clinches. Um, so I just have to take Krylov because I think the only way I would ever pick Span is on the assumption that he's going to knock Krylov out.
1: I mean, the, the thing I will say here, uh, first of all, and this, is, this does help Krylov's case, in fact, is that Krylov actually doesn't tend to win any fights that he can't out-wrestle somebody in. Like
2: that that's is absolutely true. Yeah,
1: that is, in fact, the actual, you know, it's one of those things you see his high volume sort of karate style where he throws all these kicks.
2: It's very and, formless. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And he's got this sort of shapeless striking style. But it seems like, he, you know, you watch him in, a, in a, for a moment and you're like, oh, this is a guy who he throws a lot of strikes. And that's how he fights. Mm-hmm. He wants to be at distance, throwing kicks, lunging in with one punch or one twos you know, in a very karate ish way. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what he's trying to do. And then you actually watch the fights that Nikita Krylov wins. And the thing that you'll see is that all of the distance, all of the lunging in, all of it leads to him getting takedowns. Yeah. And the real place that Nikita Krylov is actually happy and comfortable is on top of somebody in guard or in half guard, Mm -hmm. just grinding on them.
2: Which is why the vast majority of people who have beaten him are people he either cannot take down, like Uncle or, Liev, good defensive yep. wrestler, or people who out-grapple him.
1: Yep. And, uh, you know, Spawn does have—he's got that gu- gu- guillotine, or guillotine, rather.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: People he's got say it both co- ways. I know. But— I you know the the part of me that the part of me that knows how awful the french are when it comes to mispronouncing things <laughs> doesn't want to get on the wrong side of the french
2: yeah and actually if you're french it's probably we're probably still not saying it right oh yeah, like, yeah you know it's, it's like... guillotin or something you know <laughs> guillotine with <laughs> some weird vowel sound in there some yeah, nasal yeah. business yeah. yeah why don't the french and the portuguese get along better <laughs> <laughs> they got this they got they both got the stuffed noses uh
3: but, uh,
1: you know, there, so there, there are definitely moments where Spawn can jump on something and make something sure. happen against against uh, Krylov. He will yeah. have moments in the scramble, and Krylov will let him scramble because Spawn yeah. is big and strong. He, I am sure, will get up at least once.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think the worry for me with Krylov is that uh, while he has never been knocked out, he really is right there (laughs) on the end of punches. Like if we're talking about the big, you know, the point where Spawn looks good and has his most functional power is if you're out there on the end of his strikes to get hit. Yeah. Nikita Krylov is that dude.
2: Yeah, and he's going to be throwing kicks without any setup, and yep. Stan is going to nail him with straight punches while he's doing it. Yeah, no doubt.
1: Yeah. It is not hard for me to see a world where, where Nikita Krylov just gets sparked.
2: Sure. Anyone can get knocked out, no matter how good the chin. Yeah. But and like you're I still say, looking at a, a problem of uh, a, a probable, probabilistic issue here. Like yeah. is, is this the fight you think that Krylov is going to get knocked out? How big of a chance do you feel you're taking to predict that this time, given that it has never happened or even come all that close before? He's just super tough.
1: He is. And I just just hate banking on like light heavyweight to be to, to be a division where it's like, well, the guy who does the right thing more often will win this fight against the guy who is bigger and hits really hard.
2: Yeah. But these are these are guidelines. These aren't. I know.
1: I know, I know they're not hard and fast rules. I know they're guidelines. I see the problem. I'm just struggling a little bit. Uh,
2: I, so I get, Spawn I get is, the doubting cry aloud. The question is, do you trust Span? No, but <laughs>
1: my point is that light heavyweight isn't a division where you you do things based on trust.
2: Okay, <laughs> <You> <laughs> that's know? That, that's fair.
1: It is a division where you get guys like. Uh, You know, Dominic Reyes, who just run up the division or Volkan Uzdemir, who just run through like four or five people. And you're like, oh, wow, that yeah. dude, that dude is a, a truck. He's a menace. He's a killer. And then it's just like suddenly one person pulls one little thread and the whole game unravels right in front of your
2: eyes. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, wow. Well. You know how Crylog Beto's Uzdemir? He, was scared, and Krylov was not.
1: Yeah, he and he ate a ton of damaging shots early in that fight, uh-huh. right at the range and right in the way that Ryan Spann will land shots. From a and they just fought hitter, through it.
2: A big and, hitter, but a much smoother puncher. Yeah, than Ryan Spann, much more dangerous in the pocket, and yeah, I mean, I get just I get what you're saying. This is a division where, against all odds, Johnny Walker has was once again put together two wins in a row hmm But it- Krylov beat Johnny Walker too, and Johnny Walker is pretty similar to Ryan span as evinced by the extremely ridiculous three-minute fight those two men had with each other, where yeah. they each knocked each other down like three times.
1: And and Krylov did exactly what he, we expect him to do here, which is he just went out there and took Johnny Walker down. And was yeah. like, Okay. Fuck it. I'm not. I'm not playing with this. I don't need to.
2: Krylov loves, just hit- to he loves to and wrestle and grapple. Yeah. Yep does it every fight and if it works he he tends to win
1: yep and yeah i'll, I'll bank on that with you i just mm, there's that part of me that is you know it, it's it's uh the questions are real and it, the 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 distrust of light heavyweight is real it is a division i hate to pick based on what should work and why yeah Spawn is the fate, or he's the underdog though. Opened at plus one thirty, is currently at plus one forty-one. Krylov opened at minus one fifty, is currently down at minus one seventy-one. Yeah, I, I, I get it. Uh, Spawn is more even, I would say, than the Kudalaba wrestling that was a concern. Uh, the the real fight to look at for as a concern for Ryan Spawn winning here is the Anthony Smith fight. Yeah. Because that is a fight where Spawn just ran himself into takedowns for Smith. And, you, you know, Smith being himself like a good grappler, but much like Krylov, you know, sort of a very. Yeah. Um, an okay wrestler, not a great one.
2: Mm hmm. Uh,
1: Spawn just could not stop himself from getting out-wrestled by Anthony Smith.
2: Yeah. So. Yeah, 50% takedown defense. Yeah. According to stats. Two of those takedowns coming from, like, Devin Clark. Like, that's probably Mm -hmm. where a lot of the defense numbers come from, too. He stopped one of three from Devin Clark. Yeah. He stopped... Um, yeah, this is the one, actually, that boosts his stats. He stopped uh, from Luis Enrique. Oh,
3: wow. yeah.
2: Who got four takedowns, but out of 11 attempts. Yeah. But still, I mean, like... <sighs> yeah.
1: yeah. You just and can't we, be that
2: we, bad at wrestling.
1: No. <laughs> not against Krylov. You can do against it against Kyloff. most of the rest of that division. You know, like, a fight against between Vulcan Uzdemir and Ryan Spahn might be a total coin flip.
2: Uh, yeah. yeah yeah well yeah honestly yeah that would be a chancy one yeah it's yeah there's a phase where he's compl- constantly at risk but at least he's dangerous yeah um but that phase is not the ground
3: yeah
1: all right that brings us to a middleweight bout andre muniz brendan allen and this should be fun
2: this, this one I like, man. This, this is actually a yeah an interesting and meaningful fight.
1: Yep, it's an it's an interesting interesting fight. It's a meaningful fight. I'm a little surprised that like Allen is getting this fight. I mean, I know he's on a four fight or a three fight win streak, mm-hmm. um, but it really seems like the UFC was going to run Muniz up higher up the division after that Uriah Hall
2: win. I'm glad they're not. Yeah. He's a good fighter, but he very clearly still needs testing and developing. Mm -hmm. I know he's 33, but this dude is not a, you know, you put Andre Muniz against Robert Whitaker; he's going to get smoked. It is true. So, like, yeah, he needs to keep, he needs a little more time.
1: The interesting thing that really makes this fight interesting is that it has been a very long time since somebody has beat Brendan Allen in the way that Andre Muniz would beat Brendan Allen,
3: mm-hmm.
1: this is Allen at this point in his career has not been a dude that gets out grappled, and you know even like very good grapplers, Christoph Yatko, uh, um, Kevin Holland. You know, Tom Breeze is a pretty good grappler.
2: Jacob Malkoon definitely wrestled him a lot. Yeah. But uh, kept losing position when he tried to, like...
1: Actually you know, just be on top and make yep. offense
2: happen. Yep.
1: Like, Allen is a hard dude to handle, even if you're going to get takedowns on him.
2: Yeah, it. he he is sort of like Krylov. I mean, he's a generalist who is just very difficult to discomfit. So even people yeah. who do out-grapple him um, he's not afraid to, like, look for a reversal and, like, stay in their phase. And that 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 can be a very powerful thing, is to just have the confidence. Um, like, look at, you know, Volkanovsky against Mockitrius. Yeah. Look yeah. at Holly Holm against Ronda Rousey. That was one of my, like, favorite calls of all time, as I was like, maybe she should, uh, you know, try a reactive double or something. Yeah. Something to stop that pressure and make Ronda Rousey think twice. And lo and behold, she got a takedown just because she was willing to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's a big strength for Alan against grapplers is that he is himself just a very comfortable and confident grappler. So you can put him in a bad position and he's not going to fold. Yep. He's going to keep fighting and or, or go like passive and defensive, which, which is often just a different way to, to just lose more safely.
1: The, the difficult part for him here is that even the fighters we're talking about being really very good grapplers that Alan has beaten, In grappling situations, most of them are not positional grapplers the way Andre Muniz is. Yeah. They can, you know, hit good takedowns. They can get to strong positions, maybe make some offense happen from those positions, but they are not the kind of grapplers who tend to be able to, like, oh, this person is on top of you they're going to create a ton of shoulder pressure that is deeply uncomfortable and force you into this set of options and create a chain. And Andre Mooney's is that dude.
2: Yeah. I Mooney's mean, is, he gets all the cred for his awesome submissions as he should. He might be my favorite grappler to watch right now in the UFC. It's yeah. very entertaining, but I think technically the best thing he does is his passing. Yeah. This dude just cuts through people's guards and, it's the and same
1: he, in... Mm-hmm. I he, leads him in I mean, he led Jacare into a trap. Yeah. You know?
2: It's the same with his wrestling. This is something yeah. Daniel Cormier talks about a lot. Anytime a fighter does this, he is, like, very quick to praise them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, I was just watching, for example, him commenting on the uh, uh, Dante Almey's Hamdi Abdel wahib fight. Mm-hmm. And he's just like making like noises of carnal pleasure every time Abdel he hits a smooth t- takedown. Something that he always points out um, is that really good wrestlers don't waste time. When yeah. They get when they get to a position where there's an opening to start upsetting the balance of the opponent. You get on a single leg. Now is not the time to lean against the fence and think. Yep. Because the opponent's doing the same thing, and you're, the chances of surprising them or catching them uh, in that beat where they're still reacting just almost instantly vanish. You get to the single, you start running the pipe, you start attacking the base leg, you do something, you start transitioning to a double, you know, something to, yeah. to take advantage. And Muniz is really quick to jump on openings, both in the takedown phase and in the passing and in submissions, But once he starts the process of, like, committing to the attack, he's very methodical. Yeah. So he's not rushing and allowing tons of space for people to get out because he's so frantic in trying to take advantage. It's that he jumps on the opportunity quickly and then is really, like, slow and careful in each step of the actual execution. Yeah. It's it's really cool to watch.
1: It is really cool to watch. I love it. And it has me having to pick him here. I think oh, this for sure. is the point that Brendan Allen gets owned on the ground, and it hasn't happened yeah. for a long time. But the principal, you know, the principal thing I got to look at here is the fact that, as you say, you know, Allen is sort of a skilled generalist, a a fighter who can compete anywhere very broadly and compete very well, depending on the matchup. Mm-hmm. But he's also somebody who will ta- he will take whatever fight you give him. Yeah, you know when he got to the UFC before he's he's worked a lot, a lot on his boxing. But when he got to the UFC, he was very much a a, a guy a swinging, clean guy who would walk his way straight into the clinch, and wouldn't necessarily win takedown or win a wrestling exchange, but just wanted to tie up with you yeah. to force whatever fight would happen from that
2: point. Very Chucky Olives esque,
3: yeah, at
1: that,
2: uh, that stage,
1: and you know he's more he's more comfortable staying out at range now than he used to be but that doesn't change the fact that if you bring a wrestling or grappling or clinch fight to Brendan Allen he will have that fight yeah if Andre mooney comes out and you know swings an overhand into a double leg brendan allen will you know if not pull guard be very willing to Oh well, if I get taken down here, it's not that big a deal. I'll start fighting off my back.
2: Yeah, and I don't even know if it's entirely just the willingness because, like, uh, again, I, I go back to that fight he had with Jacob Malcun. Hmm. Um. Really fun fight. Also, yeah. Like, it occurred to me while researching these guys that I think middleweight might be my favorite division to watch grappling exchanges. It's like this is the Sakuraba division. Yeah. This is where like the guys are not heavyweights and light heavyweights i.e they are agile enough to scramble
1: they do actually there are a a good number of them that know how to grapple
2: yeah there's there's a there's a decent amount of grappling technique, certainly compared to the higher divisions but they're also clumsy and unwieldy enough that like they lose position you get a lot of scrambles so you get like slow dynamic scrambles dynamic scrambles that are slow and easy to follow Mm -hmm. um it's really entertaining when you get a grappling match at, at middleweight. wave. Anyway, yeah. a- Alan and Malcoon, um, the commentary was talking about their interview with Alan, where he, he said he, he, re- he really thought Malcoon was just going to try and take him down.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, which he ultimately did. Malcoon also lit him up with jabs, but, um, that's what he was prepared for. And he was like, yeah, I have to, you know, the whole never accept a bad position kind of thing. Just, he wanted to be prepared for that. And he still specifically could not stop Malcoon's special takedown, which also happens to be Muniz's favorite takedown, single legs. Yeah. Malcoon got in on those single legs over and over and over again. And Malcoon, like Muniz, is really good at immediately turning that position to his advantage. If he gets Mm -hmm. his grip on your legs, he's either running the pipe or he is trying a trip or a foot sweep. These are Muniz's two favorite finishes. He also likes to like treetop and then trip people, lift the leg. And Malcolm would also go to the back, um, take like a rear waist cinch when one of these things didn't work, but they usually worked. And just knowing that that was a fight where Allen was by his own admission, really prepared for the wrestling attack. Yeah. And he still just kept getting single legged onto his butt. That is, that is Muniz's takedown. I mean, I think specifically because he's a southpaw. The single leg is just what he gets to most easily. But that's his move. And yeah. he's just as good as Malcoon at getting uh, getting quickly to the finish once he gets a hold of that leg. And one thing that he's definitely much, much better than Malcoon at is actually getting on the back.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Because this happened like five times in Alan Malcoon, is that every time Jacob would try to put his hooks in, that would be the scramble where Alan would escape and would often get on top or would get right back to his feet. But he kept giving Malkoon his back. He kept giving him opportunities to put the boots in. Yeah. And Muniz is going to get it.
3: He's just,
2: he's a much better back taker. Now, the one thing I will add to this that I still think makes this fight interesting down the stretch. Muniz had a fight that was completely one-way traffic against Uriah Hall. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of gassed in round three.
1: Yeah. I mean, you could look at that Antonio Arroyo fight too. Yeah, that he won. Like, yeah, he is strong and he is single-minded. But you know, also being talking about things that make middleweight kind of the most fun division to watch, people grapple in is it's also a division where the guys are big enough to not just be clumsy, but to not, you know, yeah, they they don't have endless cardio. They can't afford endless yeah. cardio. They can't scramble forever.
2: Right. And Allen is a very well-conditioned fighter. Mm-hmm. I can't really recall a fight where I've seen him lose because he gassed.
1: Yeah, I mean, in part, you know, we're talking about guys that are comfortable at all times in the cage.
2: Exactly, yeah.
1: You never really see Brendan Allen. You might see him look a little frustrated or something, but you never look at see him look, like, fearful no. or, you know...
2: And when he's frustrated, he wants to get after you and get you back for whatever's yeah. annoying him. Like he just he is an aggressive and confident fighter. Yep. And um so I'm curious about that. That even like Andre Muniz is gonna take Brendan Allen down very quickly as he does everybody. But Allen is a good enough grappler that I don't know he's gonna get instantly tapped. I mean, Muniz couldn't instantly tap Uriah Hall.
1: Yeah. Um Although Hall is actually a really pretty good defensive shockingly grappler. Shockingly good defensive grappler.
2: Yeah. But one thing that Hall actually did in that fight is he took advantage of one of Muniz's few weaknesses as a grappler, which is that he has favorites. Mm, Yeah. He wants to style on people. He, you know, he's not, this is not a Dagestani fighter. (laughs) He's not going to go in there and just like, here are the five options I can have to crush you. Pick your poison Mm -hmm. and I will beat you in whatever way you want to be beaten on the ground. As long as I'm controlling you, I'm happy. I mean, he's got to Uriah Hall's back. He could have choked him out. I mean, or at least he could have banked time testing Uriah Hall's rear naked choke defense. Yeah. Now nah, he wanted that arm bar from the back. Yeah. That's his move. He really, really wanted it. And Uriah Hall, part of the reason he survived in that fight is he literally just did nothing. He let Muniz mount him, did nothing, reached up, gave mm-hmm. him the arm, just... Derek Lewis style, just waiting for the scramble for the finish, uh, for the submission so that he could take advantage of that tiny little chink of light to, to scramble out. And it, it worked. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And, um, this would be a great opportunity for Manise to show that once he gets a good position on Brendan Allen, he can just focus on keeping it and taking whatever opportunities are already there. But his tendency to try to force things, um, you know, Allen is a guy who, yeah, you give him a little space, he will win a scramble, he'll get on top, he'll get aggressive. Yeah. Um, and those scrambles alone, combined with the very few striking exchanges, again, were enough to gas Muniz. Yeah.
3: So sure. I'm, I'll
2: am i be very curious to see the third round. I think Allen's a great test. But also, you can't have a fight where you know Muniz is going to get a takedown in the first minute and pick against him.
1: Yeah. That's pretty much it. Is it. It feels like we've seen Allen really get good luck battling through really bad positions a yeah. lot in yeah. his fights, and this feels like the point where that luck runs out to me.
2: Yeah. I agree. Muniz is just a little too good. Yeah.
1: Odds on the bout, Muniz is the favorite, opened at minus 110, dropped to minus 181, is currently down at minus 226. Alan opened up minus 110 jumped up to plus 156 and it's currently up at plus 183 all right that takes us to I have to remember which tab has my t- thing I'm having to do this on Sakai it's Sakai versus Sakai versus I,
2: I, 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 don't, don't don't try to tell me you know what I'm the host now I'm taking over <laughs> that brings us to <laughs> that brings us to a heavyweight bout
1: Augusta Sakai, Dante Maze, and um, Wait, a heavyweight
2: battle on the main card?
1: I know who Finally
2: <laughs> <At> last. <laughs> um,
1: uh, yeah, okay. This, Sakai is kind of he's kind of invert Krylov.
2: Hmm. Where he's, anybody, not <laughs> he's not good at most
1: things. He's not good at most things. And any fight where he can get wrestled is a fight that he's likely to lose. Yeah. He's not a great wrestling defender. He's not an awful one mm, by heavyweight good. standards. He's not good.
2: Man, Spivak took his ass down with the quickness. He took yeah. him down in like 15 seconds But with Spiebock, an inside trip. Spivak, as much
1: as you have denigrated his wrestling in the past – He's still like a top 10% wrestlers in heavyweight.
2: Yeah, he's as good a wrestling technician as Nikita Kralov.
1: Yeah. As so I'm saying, like, you know, Dantel Mays isn't that kind of wrestling. He doesn't have Sergey Spivak re- takedowns. No. So no, he you, you are really here in that fine line of can a guy like Dantel Mays, who's just big. Yeah beat augusta sakai because he's just bad
2: yeah it it, this is this is honestly a very difficult fight to call because Dante mays i think really could be a very good heavyweight Mm -hmm. he has a lot of i mean certainly he has the requisite durability yes this is a very tough man yep um Certainly, he's bad enough at grappling to be a UFC heavyweight. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's really checking the boxes. <laughs> that, that excellent leg lock that Zerogon had the idea to, to go for against Francis Ngannou, that worked it on Dontel Mays. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it It, <laughs> it did. worked very quickly. He Heel hooked him. Yep. Um, but, yeah, Dontel Mays is very tough. He's kind of gone-like in that despite his size, he's a big heavyweight he's like really agile
3: mm-hmm. and yeah. well conditioned. Yeah.
2: This is the guy who can do a lot, who can stay light on his feet and move around and throw power shots and get into tie ups and still be reasonably fresh in the third round. Yeah. No,
1: no question. I mean, I, I had I, I have, I have joked that like Dantel Mays looks like he walked, walked by, he fights like he walked by an issue of black belt magazine once.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, but, it is just kind of unfortunate that somebody didn't get to him with a yeah. better, with more technical training earlier in his career.
2: I can't think of a fighter I would more like to see get with Henry Hooft.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: I
2: think Dontel Mays would be really, really good in two fights time with a coach like Henry Hooft.
1: Yeah, somebody who's just like, okay, no, we're just going to do the jab and the yeah. cross and a kick. We yeah. have three moves, you're gonna do all of them, and you're not gonna try to do anything else but stand yeah. there and do those three things, or I will yell at you and you will not get to go to yeah to McDonald's afterwards.
2: <laughs> we, we we will have no heavyweight Kevin Hollins in this gym. Yeah. Uh, but that is how he fights. He's like he's out there like Kevin Holland, like Alex Caceres, like he's probably hampered by his obvious athleticism because like mm-hmm. there's a bunch of cool stuff he can do that other heavyweights can't. And so he's switching stance and he spins about nineteen times per fight uh he does this is a guy whos who does like exploratory spins. he will yeah. spin like it's a jab, yeah. like I'm gonna spin, <laughs> and obviously you're a heavyweight, so you're not gonna like run in and hit me before I'm done spinning, and then I look at you like how did you react to that <laughs> he who will spin without throwing a strike Oh uh, it's insane yeah and and his all of his techniques are way too big, way too big.
1: Um, this is a dude who shot in on Hamdi Abdel Wahab.
2: Not didn't just shoot. He tried like a running, uh, a running like tabletop knee tap, some kind of insane yeah. dynamic takedown. Again, this is the kind of stuff he can go for that no other heavyweight would even be yeah. able to try. But it wasn't a good idea.
1: No, it totally it totally wrecked a very winnable fight for him.
2: Yeah terrible terrible thinking and then this is his big problem it's just an utter lack of structure because you can see when he does basic fundamental things i mean the the sequence he hurt abdel wahab with yeah pretty straightforward body kick granted there was a needless stance switch in there but yeah yeah, body kick he finds himself in range and abdel wahab hasn't created space and so then just one two down the pipe Uh hurts abdel wahab busted up his eye like just straight punches he's fast he's powerful even when he's not throwing hard but he does overthrow he leaves his stance behind there's nothing connecting one technique to the rest other than his obvious athletic ability
1: yeah um he doesn't knock many people out because he can't deliver anything consistently like he can hurt somebody with one shot for sure and if he can get on top of somebody and stay on top of them, he can punish them because he's huge. Yep. But you know, you're you're also looking at uh, going going 15 minutes with Roque Marti- Martinez, Martinez, and yep. uh, you know, having to eventually take TKO Josh Parisian from Crucifix.
2: Yeah. Like,
1: it's just not that he's not a de- dependable power striker.
2: So here's the thing. Despite all that, he might take Sakai down. He'll try. He,
1: he might. He will try. He will and try.
2: It, and there's a pretty good chance of it working and banking him around, if not a possible finish. Like you're talking about somebody getting TKO'd from Crucifix. That could happen here. Sakai is not good on the ground. No, it's true. Um, so I So I just don't know. Sakai is way more meat and potatoes Um, So he feels more, like, reliable, but he's also just, like, too low output despite that to make me think that him just sticking to better ideas is actually going to win in the fight. Because among all the terrible ideas Maze has are some good ones, and there's a lot more ideas happening. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm almost tempted to pick Maze for the simple reason that, like, I also kind of feel like Sakai's confidence has taken a hit.
1: The guy is definitely he definitely used to be a fighter who was like, oh, well, you know, I can I might not be the most technical guy out there. I might not be the fittest guy out there, but I am tough as hell and I can get through anything. Yeah. And then
2: he Uh, got knocked out and and now he's been finished four times in a row.
1: Yeah. Every fight is now, you know, every challenge is now putting him in
2: panic. Yeah. Granted, mostly by fighters. Much better, if if only in one very specific way, than Dontel Mays.
1: Much better at delivering punishment consistently. Yes. You know, yeah. Wherever position they're in, Alistair Overeem, Jerzino Rosenstreich, Tai Tuivasa, and Sergei Spivak are much better at like, oh, I have I am in a position where that I can control. I'm going to hurt you a lot.
2: Yeah, but um, you know, it is there is a thing where like, Sp- Tuivasa and Spivak are like. Not as accomplished as the the previous two guys to beat him. And now we're this is a familiar yeah. track. You just keep going down and you're like, is this gonna be the guy who's bad enough for you to win? Yeah. And I don't know that he is. I don't have a good reason to pick Maze, but I I I just uh I'm just not feeling I, I don't think Spivak is feeling himself lately. Sakai. Okay. So Sakai, okay, not Spivak. Oh yeah. sorry, Sakai. Yeah. Um, so I I guess I'll take Mays, even though like he's such a mess I, and I, I'm not even I'm not even doing my usual thing of picking him because of his potential, because I don't trust yeah. him to deliver on it ever.
1: No, no. I mean, if he's still at uh, Bronx Hill MMA and yeah, I mean, 31 is not old for a heavyweight. No, but, no. Uh, you know, he's been he, he's been in the game for six years, seven years now. It is one of those things where you're like, yeah, you're pro- we're probably seeing Dontel Mays the way he's going to be. Maybe not. Like, heavyweight really is a weird division. He could have an entire second coming five years from now.
2: You never he, know. Yeah.
1: If he just sticks around and, like, keeps fighting and keeps training and keeps doing his thing, it could be Dontel Mays could just suddenly be like, oh, you know, he's actually pretty good now. Yeah. Then he's, th- he's in, he's in his late
2: thirties. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's got the athleticism to have a very long tail on his prime. Yeah. Whenever that may, uh, may, may begin. It's tough, tough to say with heavyweights, but, um, yeah, I, even not expecting that he will deliver on his potential. Um, I just think he's a just, a, he just feels a little more stable in the cage. Like I trust him to go out there and do the, have the same bad ideas every round.
3: Yeah. That's true.
2: Uh, that's, you know, I just don't know what else to go on, really.
1: I, I'll i go with Sakai for this. This, to me, feels like a fight that he can win. It might be a fight he edges, like... Yeah. Just barely guts out, and you're like, wow, that didn't actually make me feel any more confident about uh-huh. you going forward. But May's inability to hit the same spot, hit the same marks over and over again... Mm-hmm really make me feel like he won't knock Sakai out. And at that point, Sakai will do just enough work and, like, be able to slow the fight down just enough to pull out the win.
2: How's he going to slow it down, though?
1: Just, like, clinch and put Maze on the cage and, like, just put his head under his head. And just,
2: yeah, clinching him, Yeah, yeah. Because he's not – the thing is he can sucker people into a slow pace at range because they're heavyweights, and he stays at a safe distance. But Mays, like, has more freedom than your average heavyweight to True. just keep trying things as long as yeah. they're at range. But if you're expecting a clinch, yeah, we'll yeah. see. Yeah, we'll see. It's kind of it's kind of interesting in, in a really yeah. weird way. I'm curious about the where these guys are at.
1: In a, in a in a If this were opening the prelims, I'd be really happy with it. Yeah you
2: know yeah as it is it's going to be the the hump day of the main card
1: <laughs> yes yeah you're like
2: oh my god still two fights to go and this is what i'm watching Which
1: you know I've we've talked about it a bit in the past but like there is a there is an aspect that a good card has a little of everything where you mix in you're like okay that was an awesome fight sure now we have a really weird bad one and now I'm all keyed up again for the next good one. Maybe yeah. this can be that in a perfect world. We'll see. Yeah, it's weird enough. Sakai opened at plus 125. It's currently down at minus 137. Maze opened at minus 145. It's currently at plus 112. Um, yeah, I don't even know that like I would want to look at any props or anything. Like I no. guess Maze via TKO KO is only plus 200, which isn't you know, way better than his plus one fifteen line.
2: Who does he KO
1: though? Exactly.
2: I guess yeah. The the crucifix on Josh Parisian.
1: He's gotten regional stoppages at a regional level, but yeah, is Sakai still is Sakai shot to the point of being that? I don't
2: too too unpredictable. This fight too to unpredictable. make any yeah. prop bet or any yeah. bet at all.
3: Yeah. Say, close say to, us, close to dead even,
2: people, but you know. Well, yeah, but close to dead even sounds about right, and and I really, I, I just uh, unless you're out there listening and you have a super strong read, like first of all, tell me what it is.
3: Yeah, <laughs>
2: but yeah, I, this looks like a, too close to call. Honestly, a yeah. coin flip fight. Yeah.
1: All right, that brings us to a woman's flyweight bout: Tatiana Suarez, Montana De La Rosa.
2: The other real highlight of the card, even if the matchmaking is not interesting, it's getting to see Tatiana Suarez again is enough yeah. to have my attention.
1: And and this will be, I mean, I think this is a really well-booked fight for that because, you know, Suarez, she made her, she, she made her bones as a dominating wrestler at 115 pounds. Mm-hmm. She did it in a division where she had that size and strength advantage. Mm-hmm. And she's giving up some of that. And she's a good enough technical, good enough uh, shot chaining, good enough aggressive wrestler to make me feel like that'll translate just fine. Mm -hmm. But it's always a question for me with wrestlers. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's always an aspect of how much of what you do is just how big you are compared to the people you're fighting.
2: Yeah. And not, this is all not even mentioning the, other very obvious yeah. X factors like that. She hasn't fought in almost four years
1: and that her injury was to her neck,
2: neck and then knee, I think. And
1: yeah, neck and knee, which I mean, if you want to talk about something that can fuck up your, your wrestling shot, yeah. like your ability to get in on some takedowns, Uh huh. both of those are things that like a, you know, your knees are going to affect your leg drive. We saw King Mo like King Mo basically gave up on being a wrestler for the, yeah. the back half of his career.
2: Yeah, and they it's because they are, they are classic wrestling injuries. Yeah. These are things that get pressured, which means that continuing to train your wrestling will continue to aggravate them. Yeah. So it can really change your whole preparation for fights.
1: And the unfortunate part for Suarez, too, that we don't know is that she was a really bad striker. Like... There's not okay. a secondary skill to fall back on here. She could, you know, she threw some decent kicks, she could lunge in behind an overhand, but once Nina Nunes like went through the hell of a couple of bad rounds of wrestling against Suarez, that was not a good fight for Tatiana Suarez. Mhm. After she after she got tired and after the wrestling stopped being an instant success. You know,
3: mm-hmm.
1: her striking game is not, you know, she is. She's she's in that Ben Askren zone mm-hmm. of like you, some wrestlers are just never going to develop a natural feel for striking. And I would be I would not at all be surprised if Suarez is one of those. Now, she's been away for a long time. She's had the kind of injuries that, you know, we just talked about King Mo. King Mo became a pretty decent boxer mm-hmm. at, over to the point that he actually like you know, really kind of pigeonholed himself in really weird ways eventually. Yeah. But he had moments where he became a really pretty good boxer as a, I can't wrestle anymore. I got to do something else. Mm -hmm. Maybe that, maybe that'll be there for Suarez, but
2: there's no evidence of it at all so far. So
1: yeah, we we have no way to know so far. And Montana De La Rosa is, you know, we've talked, this has been kind of a theme so far. She is a fighter who, it, given the opportunity to do anything, she will yes. do something. Yeah. You know, she, if, if you can stick her on her feet and just outstrike her with ones and twos, Montana De La Rosa will have that striking exchange with you all fight and she'll lose it. But if you're not as good a striker as her, she will outbox you. If you wrestle her and take her down, but you're not as good a wrestler, a grappler as her, she will out grapple you and, she will, you know, win those grappling exchanges. And if you're a better grappler than her and take her down, you'll be able to just out-wrestle her and out-grapple her
2: yeah. the whole time. Like she will just not fall to not a strategist.
1: Not a strategist, a very competitive fighter in any situation, but will mm-hmm. always fall into whatever competition her opponent wants to have. Mm-hmm. You know like she had a good competitive, tough fight with Macy Barber, sure, and she kind of had that same fight with Andrea Lee, you know, and she just went one for one with Vivia Rajo the whole time and just got hit harder the whole mm-hmm. time. She had a draw with Myra Bueno Silva, who's now up at one thirty five and is a good finisher. Bueno Silva got a point taken away, mm-hmm. she put a won that but they're competitive fights.
2: Cl- a classic test fighter.
1: Yeah, a classic test fighter. And that makes this interesting for Tatiana Suarez. Suarez is in a point where she needs a test. Yep. She's been away. She's moving up. We need to know can she bring a physical dominance to this fight? Because if she can, she'll beat Montana de la Rosa because Montana de la Rosa will let her wrestle. Yep. But if she can't, Montana de la Rosa will hang in there and she will, you know, she will find whatever grappling openings she can, she will find whatever striking opening she can she will do whatever she can given the frame of the fight and she'll do it for all the rounds so i gotta pick tatiana suarez i think she's gonna get the game she's gonna get the fight she wants she's gonna get the chances to take get the takedown she wants but mm-hmm. this is all about how you know how recovered is she still the same fighter she used to be and can she be the same fighter she used to be up a division where she's not going to be as big a bully. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I have almost nothing to add. I'm I'm very curious to see Suarez back. A lot of questions, a lot of fears about how her layoff and her injuries will have affected her. Mm -hmm. Um, But really no way to actually say anything definitive about them. Yeah. And so I will just simply assume that she's going to look like Tatiana Suarez. And if she does, she is going to get a fight where she gets to do Tatiana Suarez things for as long as she is able.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, De La Rosa, you know, her husband, too, Mark De La Rosa, they really bu- built themselves, they built themselves striking games for more athletic people. Yeah. And, it's kind of too bad, especially for Montana De La Rosa, because she, she is such a good competitor.
2: Yeah, they're both extremely scrappy by They're nature.
1: both extremely scra- scrappy fighters, but the, the the base functionality of this, like, oh, I'm going to have a really busy inside pocket boxing game. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that really t- kind of tends to require you to be either an insane technician, which neither of you were, mm-hmm. or an insane athlete, which neither of you were. And otherwise, you give a lot of opportunities to your opponent to get in on your hips, to land your their own your own strikes, to do you know to to really form the fight the way that they want it.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: it, it make it, it put uh, Delarosa in the position of being she uh, being a good test, just being somebody who like can you bring something extra to a fight? Because if you can't, this person will be right in front of you. Scrapping and making things happen, and if you can, they'll be right in front of you, there to have things done to them. Mm -hmm. Odds on the bout Suarez, I'm sure, is going to be a big, yeah, prohibitive favorite. Opened at come on. Currently running at about 800, to eight, minus to 800 to minus 850 uh, with De La Rosa at uh, plus 500 to plus 550. I can't get the actual page to load me the uh, odds the way it should right now for some reason. But at the moment, Suarez is out at very wide odds. Uh, here we go. Uh, Suarez opened at minus 700, currently minus 788. Montana, De La Rosa. I don't know. Whatever. I'm moving on. Big big <laughs> odds on somebody who's with that many X factors. I would not. I, I don't feel. Ha- I don't feel secure about that.
2: You know. No, but the thing with Montana is that she just doesn't beat people who like have a. Yeah. Who have a a a, a nice like track that their their fights follow. Yeah. She yeah. doesn't beat people who fight with a good strategy. Because she yep. has none. She will accept their strategy and try to beat them in it. And it just doesn't work against good fighters.
1: Yeah. Her wins, Nadia Kasim, Mara, Mara Barella, Ariane yeah. Lipsky. There are good athletes and bad athletes in there. But the, yeah. the big These thing with all of them is they're very formless fighters. They're
2: formless fighters. Yeah. If you're a mess, Montana De La Rosa will very likely beat you. But yeah, you, you kind of have to be a mess. Otherwise, all she can do is compete.
1: Yeah. All right, that brings us to our final fi- or no, we have two more fights on the main card at least uh according to ESPN rather and uh topology Mike Malott Johan Lennes.
2: Um this is a fun looking fight. Yeah. Um yeah. I'm uh, I'm not entirely sure what we're going to see here because Johan Lennes um he was a contender series guy, right? Uh, yes. Pretty sure he obliterated someone with a punch. Yep. He got signed and he was like, I'm the guy who obliterates people with one punch. Yep. And he fought Gabe green.
3: Yeah.
2: Who, uh, if there's a harder man to obliterate, I have not, I've not met him yet. Um, Gabe green is an extremely tough, extremely consistent and aggressive fighter. Yeah. And this was a fight where I, I, I would like to think we called it in advance because looking back, it seems very obvious. Yeah, um, we did. Lin-esque just imploded. Yep. He went in there. He hurt Green. You know, credit to him. He did some of what he was intending to do. And then he panicked and gassed, and Gabe Green was still there being Gabe Green. Yep. And then um, Linesk went into his next fight against Darian Weeks, one of our classic uh, sort of Boy, you have so much potential. potential. Why do you keep disappointing me, fighters?
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: You should be better than this. What's happening? And he fought a very different kind of fight. He wanted to be measured. He fought from the outside. I mean, he did a lot more retreating than I have seen in any of his other fights. Yeah. Circling. And it was a bit awkward. I mean, this is clearly not a natural style for him. This is a planted power punching fighter. Mm
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And you could see that when he was retreating, there were times when Darian Weeks mustered the nerve and just kept chasing him. Where He was like, wait a minute. The only way this guy's going to hit me is if he stops moving.
3: Yeah. He
2: can't, he can't be on his bike and be punching at the same time. At least not. He couldn't at that point. Maybe he's mm-hmm. working on that, but this is not something most MMA fighters are good at, like stepping around and jabbing. And Lane S is not the uh, not a pioneer in bringing that level of boxing yeah. ability.
1: to One, him. Lane S is never going to have feet that fast. It will never happen. He will never well, be
2: able. The thing to... is, I don't even think you need feet that fast. I mean, Darian Weeks also fought Ian Gary, who circled and fought off the back foot, but they were it, all, they had to be just very small steps. As long as he kept moving, and, Gary, was, ba- and was balanced much enough,
1: lighter to... on his feet.
2: He, yeah, he didn't have to be in that fight, though. A lot of the time, no, he was true. just sidestepping, just true. very, like, being light on your feet, being bouncy. This is the problem with a lot of MMA fighters who try to do footwork. They grew up watching Frankie Edgar and hearing Joe Rogan say that this is amazing footwork. Um, like, you don't have to make big movements. In fact, you, you shouldn't. You should be taught yeah. to be very efficient and economical. So that you can keep being an offensive threat while you're moving, mm-hmm. you got to have your feet on the ground uh, or close to the ground, so they can be planted very lightly. You know, you don't have to be digging your heels in. But this is the problem: is there's two Lane S's. There's the guy who wants to move around, and he does it so bouncily that, as long as that's happening, he can't be the guy who's good at punching people.
1: Yeah, and what I, I get, what I'm saying is that I think that Lane S is not. He's not naturally a very uh, dynamic athlete. No. And so for him, like, if he's going to move around and do it with any speed to, like, get away from anything or avoid anything, he has to, like, really accentuate it and step it up. Because the moment he does not accentuate it and step step it up, his feet are basically glued to the floor. Yeah.
2: So, um... You know, I, I think all of this would be a bigger problem. F- first of all, it's to say that I'm not entirely sure what approach Lanez is going to take to this fight. Um, if he's going to go in there and try and slug it out with Malat, Malat, who is a guy who... Uh, a Jim Miller-style fighter. A guy yeah. who finishes most people with submissions, but he is absolutely happy to bang it out in the pocket.
1: He's, he's actually... And this really, like, confused me when I saw him originally. Uh... And it makes more sense seeing him in his last fight, but it's still a little confusing to me. He's actually a striking coach. Well, there you go. Apparently. And that is very confusing to me because he, and it was confusing to me, like, watching him coming up, I was like, I guess. But he fights with, like, no range tools at all. Yeah. So all of the striking coaching he's doing is very much like po- pocket punching mechanics. Yeah,
2: every sparring session that Drem in that in his gym is the is just that drill where both guys put their feet inside a tire. Yeah, and like you just have to be in the pocket the whole time. Yeah,
1: that's what it seems cause
2: like he's quite sharp in the pocket.
1: He really is. But even Boy, that the, fight he had with uh, you know because I I picked uh, Mickey Gall against him. Mm-hmm. And even in that fight, Mickey Gall, like, Mickey Gall just plunked him from
2: distance. Yeah. yeah, Mickey Gall was landing jabs all over the place. Um, Malot, just, the fight was only three minutes long, and Melot's face was a mess yeah. at the end, just getting lit up with straight punches.
1: So it is um, one of those real mysteries of like, what, what who coached you to this that yeah. you were passed on to others? <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, you can also see Malat's fight with... Uh, this was years ago, but he, it doesn't look like he's changed much since. His fight with uh, Hakim Daodu,
3: mm-hmm.
2: where like he's in there trying to like teep Hakim. And there are times when he like lands some jabs and stuff, but I think... And this is a problem for Linus as well. He overcommits to his range tools. Yeah, And so it's like any counter coming back at him. I, I just think maybe over time he's learned to use them less because it's like when Luke Rockhold <laughs> jabbed Michael Bisping yeah. and did it too much and got countered. And then immediately after the fight, he's like, I shouldn't have used the jab. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's exactly the right lesson that you should be taking away from that experience. Yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't jab, but uh, that's a common type of overcorrection for MMA fighters. So maybe that's what happened. Yeah. Um, but it's also not like he couldn't, compete with Dawadu on the feet, and especially yeah. whenever they got into the pocket, Dawadu tried to step in and clinch him, and it's like I gotta tell you man a has got a really nice short left hook,
1: yeah no his 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 inside striking game is with the moment you see him in the pocket, you're like, oh, okay, striking coach, I get it, yeah, it's just seeing it as an overall game. I'm like, what yeah it's 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 very specific, but the moment he's in his arena. Yeah, man is a tight puncher.
2: And Absolutely, doesn't overthrow like really, really compact, nice, solid punches.
1: And really knows exactly where he is defensively in. Yeah, inside, which is that is like the real thing missing from most MMA games. Yeah, is that that sense of spatial awareness in the pocket of like, yeah, okay, well now that I'm not being protected by my range. What, what, what is, com- what can come at me and hit me here? Malat seems to have a great
3: sense
2: of that. Yeah. So he is, he is naturally, I think a, a pretty exceptional counter puncher. Yeah. But um, yeah, he does have this weird thing where, I mean, if this is going to be a theme of the card or this is just a theme of MMA fighters in general, he is lacking the strategic side to mm-hmm. these really good tactics that he has. Like, how do I get people <laughs> into the pocket how do I get people to walk into my counters? Um, You know, and it doesn't seem like it would take much again. He does have a jab. He does have like teeps and front kicks, but he he just gets, he gets punished when he actually has to close the distance. Yeah. He just overdoes it. Anyway, Lin has the same problem. Um, And he is himself a super dangerous pocket puncher, but a much, much, meatheadier one
1: yeah much like, worse much less sense of spatial awareness in the pocket yeah much more just a raw horsepower do you really want to hang with me here i'm going to scare you back to a, a distance where I, I i can feel comfortable again
2: yeah so um <laughs> on the other hand i mean i've seen i've seen a get ko'd um, the only time I've seen Lane get KO'd was when he, you know, it was when he completely exhausted himself, and that was really what did the damage, that he was just dead tired and couldn't react. I've seen Malat get caught clean when he's perfectly fresh. Yeah. So, I don't know. Do I trust the guy who, knowing this fight is gonna get into some messy pocket exchanges? Do I trust the guy who's less messy? Um knowing that the other guy seems to take a better punch <laughs> yeah I, i'm not sure i i guess i'll take him a lot because the other thing with um the other thing with lane s is that he's not a good wrestler
1: he's not a good wrestler there's not really any change up that lane s can throw in here yeah exactly so he he really has to get that knockout because i also don't i also don't think that you know he claimed he didn't do any cardio training for the fight with green which okay that's dumb
2: Good idea. Yeah.
1: Um, but also his fight with Darian Weeks didn't show anything to make me think he'd solved that problem.
2: Like, mm, yeah,
1: his solution to gassing in his last fight was basically just to take his foot off the gas. Yeah. And don't fight.
2: Because, the, I mean, he did a lot, but he did a lot less punching because. Yeah. The, the essential thing about his punching is that it is full power all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So he just really, really uh, diminished his output.
3: Yeah.
1: And that to me suggests that he's putting, that he's going to find himself in a sea of trouble trying to navigate the best way forward for his career. Yes. Yeah. Where Malat, I mean, you know, he might be a guy that gets caught cold every now and then. He might yeah. be a guy who isn't always going to be a better back foot fighter than front foot fighter. But. I would be surprised if he, anything ever really changed about his, you know, dedication to his approach. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take yeah. him a lot. I think being the smoother, slicker, more defensively mindful guy inside, with better mechanics, as long as he survives the first round, I think he can push Linus to the point that yep. Linus is tired and can't hang.
2: He might also, he might also, Linus looks tougher, but he could also just get badly hurt. Like that left hook really is a, a really nice punch. And Darian weeks with a much worse, mechanically worse left hook caught Linus with that shot a lot. Yep. And Malot's not a great wrestler either, but he is a willing wrestler.
1: Yeah. It it could easily be that Linus has never actually faced somebody who throws good
2: punches. That is it's MMA. So that is almost certainly the case. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh Milot is the favorite here. Opened at minus two thirty-five, currently minus two twenty-two. Lines opened at plus two hundred, is currently at plus one seventy-eight. Yeah, that makes sense.
2: Yeah. It's a fun booking though.
1: It is a fun booking. All right. That gets us to a lightweight bout, Eric Gonzalez, Trevor Peak. And um why? <laughs> like a. Why is this on the main card? B. Why is Eric Gonzalez still in the UFC?
2: Well, they they the the uh, matchmakers looked at the fighters and like these aren't heavyweights. I roll a dice. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if they're heavyweights. I know where to put them on the card. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, beats me.
1: And C, like. Why Trevor? I mean, I get the contender series. You sign anybody who show who walks through the door and gets their <laughs> hand raised. Uh huh. But also, like, why Trevor Peak? Yeah. There's something to him, uh, especially maybe as a featherweight yeah. at some point. But it is very it is a very raw something. Yeah. Um, You know, he's a guy with good physical tools learning how to fight still Mm -hmm. and often having to fall into being a brawler because the physical tools are what he needs to win and the technical tools don't support that yet. He's, you know, he'll try to do something for a minute technically and get absolutely clubbered and just be like, well, I gotta, I gotta wait in and start throwing hammers because
2: boy he's got a great topology photo too
1: yeah he really does
2: you don't want to have the last name Peek and and have a face that just looks like you are just constantly peeping through the window. he looks like he's a different kind of evil than Modestus Bukowskis.
1: he looks like he, colin farrell's brother that like they don't talk about <laughs> because he's got a really long rap
2: sheet yeah he looks like colin farrell combined with rickety cricket
3: <laughs> yeah
2: he looks like uh, Modestus Bukowskis, the Dark Wizard. He looks like the the homunculus that he summoned. <laughs> he's a little. He's got. He's got a little gremlin kind of thing going on. He really does. Trevor Goblin mode peak.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I'm gonna pick him. Really? Yeah, he's a messy brawler, and Eric Gonzalez certainly has something to him.
2: Yeah, but he is made of glass.
1: But he's made of glass, and all of his fighting carries him forward. You know, yeah. Everything that uh, Gonzalez does pushes him to his opponent. You know, he wants to. He wants to be a clinch fighter. He wants to get in there, get in tight, hang on somebody, and throw big knees throw elbows, you know, just start, like, taking over with his size and aggression. And out at distance, he's deeply uncomfortable and just gets clipped. And uh, Pete just seems like he's going to go out there and he'll eat a front kick or something that makes him suddenly realize he just needs to storm the castle and Maybe he'll get knocked out in the process of that, but I'll pick him to get the knockout.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was not my first impulse, but I do kind of see your point. Um, Gonzalez is a very hard, a very hard lightweight to put your faith in. Like it, it's it's not even just fragility, like no. in, in terms of chin, I just don't think he's very physical.
1: No, he's not very physical, and he's developed a style that is all about being
3: physical.
2: Yeah, like Gonzalez should probably be on our next, uh, our next uh, get in the locker nerd. Yeah, themed depressed us because that is the vibe of a lot of his fights. Is that this is a guy? He's he's trying. He's got some good techniques. He he looks like a better structured fighter than a lot of MMA fighters. Uh mm-hmm. huh. But um. It's just like somebody just gets a hold of him and they just like pull a bit, pull his underwear over his head, like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I guess just d- despite the very goblin-esque appearance, Trevor Peak is certainly he feels more human-sized when you're actually tying up with him <laughs> uh, or exchanging punches with him. So I guess I'll go with you, Me- being messy and tough. Yeah. Might be enough, but I I don't know, man. I I have my doubts. Like Gonzalez
1: does have a five-inch reach advantage, so if he can't just stick himself at range and just be like, "Here are step knees to dissuade takedowns, and here are jabs to, uh, you know, mess you up, keep you on the end of my punches." You know what? I'm going to
2: take Gonzalez. All right. He's got the reach. He's not going to maintain his range because he doesn't do that. He always gets into the pocket with people. But Peek is just kind of fumbling through Oh yeah, no. It's, every moment of his fights, and I is, just don't it know. It is
1: pure, like, 30 seconds of, okay, I came in with a game plan straight into you know, just, like, Tasmanian devil spinning around the cage. Whoa, yeah. Kind of, yeah. you know, fighting.
2: Gonzalez is definitely a, a classic guy that you can beat by accident. Yes. Um, which, if Peek wins, that's what it's going to look like, but... I'll, I'll take Gonzalez to get this one. I, I think, you know, generally for him, the fighters who beat him are pretty good. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're, they're not complete messes most of the time. So,
1: well, I mean, th- that's true with the last two UFC losses, but
2: uh, there's some early ones. I he, know it's he it's, has it's, lost
1: a bunch of fights early in his career, not by yeah. knockout, which is a good sign for him here, but by everything else.
2: Yeah, he's just a very scattershot fighter, but at least he's trying. I'm going to pick yeah. him. To reward his effort to be a good fighter, yeah.
1: Uh, Gonzalez is the underdog here. Opened at oh, there we go, plus one seventy. Dropped to plus one forty four. Currently plus one sixty four. So that's getting a little wider. Trevor Peak opened at minus two hundred. Jumped up to minus one seventy two. Back down to minus one ninety nine. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't get wide on Trevor Peak, honestly. Like,
3: no, he is. You
1: know, uh, all gas, no brakes and not in a way that like you're like, oh, he's just going to go out there and dominate everybody physically. But just like
2: all gas, no brakes. There's a tire missing. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, like he is. He's definitely the kind of I mean, I guaranteed he he got signed of all the other guys who won more impressively because like Dana White's little dick was rock hard after the first round of his Contender Series fight. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, man, this dude, Dana White likes, he did the white power slap lake. He likes parking lot fights. Yes, he does. That is his essential theory of what is cool about MMA. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, and, that, uh, that
1: street corner story of like you see, you know, uh-huh, a play uh-huh. on the street. we didn't realize that what he actually meant was, so what I want is a street fight. Yeah in the cage it's the street fight that's going to attract people not like just yeah. good fights but you know
2: it's almost incidental fun. that the, yeah the peak fight he happened to see w- happened to be in the contender series yeah yeah because P- peak was probably having the exact same fight two days before uh, in a parking lot of a lowe's yeah and if yeah. dana white had happened across him at that location he would have signed him for that too
3: that's right
1: all right, that wraps up the main card, Vivi. You can find me on Twitter at time You can find Connor on Twitter at BoxingBush. You can find both of us over at Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast over at BloodyOvo Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And we will be back in one week's time
2: with a, a card US... that is very nearly quite good.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to find it. UFC 285 Jones versus gone. So we got a couple of title fights. We got Bo Nickel on there. We got Shavka Rachmanov against Jeff Neal, Gamrot Turner.
2: There's Brunson DuPlessis.
1: Yeah, that's that.
2: (laughs) That is the fight for the people.
1: All right. So we're looking forward to that. See you next time, everyone. Adios.
0: Just a little reminder that you can support the MMA Vivisection, the MMA Depressed Us, and the 6th Round Post Fight Show simply by going to patreon.com slash mmavivisection. With three different tiers ranging from $3 to $7, it's incredibly easy to show support to your favorite analysts, Zane, Connor, Eddie, and Phil. So if you have a few dollars to spare... Please consider us. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crookland's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money guest podcasts the hey not the face podcast and radio style play-by-play for every ufc pay-per-view be sure to follow us on twitter at bloody elbow facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on BloodyElbow.com.